All right, so we have some things to talk about today. You ready for this? We are beginning what is going to be our summer sermon series, or what's left of the summer. Um, on the book of Ecclesiastes, we're calling a series Under the Sun, which, which we will get to why in a bit. But uh, let's just start this morning just with a simple, pretty self-evident observation about life. Each one of you, you are trying to live the good life. Simple, but it's true. You, me, all of us, trying, we're trying to, we're searching for, we're putting effort into living what we would say is a good life, the good life. We probably define that, what that is, the good life, very differently from each other, right? And each of us are pursuing it in our own way, right? The businessman in a suit who works 80 hours a week and neglects his family all week long, and the, the redneck sitting on his porch with his no shirt, the natty light in his hand watching a bug zapper, both of them, I would submit, are attempting to live their version of the good life, right? What? <laughs> he pushed. As all of us are striving for. And here's the thing. Stats would back me up on this. On average, yearly basis, right now in America, we spend $13.2 on self-help books, over $1 billion on motivational speaking, and $86 billion on self-help and self-improvement apps. Because we want programs, books, systems, steps, professionals who will help us find and live the good life. And like I said, this idea is a very simple idea, but it's an important idea as we start reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Because throughout this book, Solomon is going to look at us and he's going to ask one very simple question. How's it going for you? Is it really working? That's the question he's going to ask over and over again. How is your quest for the good life going? Is it actually satisfying the deepest parts of your soul? If you have, have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip open to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament between Proverbs and Song of Songs. Ecclesiastes 1 comes right before Ecclesiastes 2. So hopefully that will help you. So while you're flipping there to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, let me give you... Uh, some, a little background, a little bit of setup about who King Solomon is and what the book is all about. Okay? Solomon in all of history is a very unique human being. He was one of the kings of Israel. His dad was a king as well. His dad was King David, a very famous king in the Old Testament, wrote most of the Psalms. Solomon comes after his dad, and like his dad, he's a worshiper of God, he's a lover of God, but also like his dad David, he has some moral and character flaw. Uh, he, like his dad, wrote a good amount of the scripture. So Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, uh, the book Song of Songs, as well as this book, Ecclesiastes. And in the text that Solomon wrote, we get some of the most famous passages of scripture. Like, not just in the church world, but just in society in general. So for the 40 and up crowd in the room, you're familiar with, to, every, to everything, turn, 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 there is a season. You know that song? You can, you can nod or I can keep singing. That's your choice. Right? And a time and a purpose under heaven. I love it when I get to sing up here, but uh, you know that. But in 1965, the birds wrote a number one hit single based on this poem in Ecclesiastes, written over 3,000 years ago. American novelist Thomas Wolfe said, quote, I'm not given to dogmatic judgments in the matter of literary creation, but if I had to make one, I could say that Ecclesiastes is the greatest single piece of writing I have ever known. 
and the wisdom expressed in it the most lasting and profound. Thomas Wolfe was not a Christian, but he says, hey, listen, I'm a, I'm a literary scholar, and in everything I've read, I have not found another book like Ecclesiastes, the most lasting, profound wisdom I've ever known. Now, there's a reason why Solomon has such a profound wisdom. Um, there's a reason why some of his passages in Scripture remain the most famous, not only in church, but outside of it. And the reason why actually happens over in 1 Kings 3. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to sometime this week, you can study this on your own. But 1 Kings has a lot of the history of Solomon's life. And at one point, there's this very kind of weird moment where Solomon's in the temple. He's worshiping God. And God tells Solomon, okay, here's what we're going to do. You can have anything you want. Ask for one thing and I'll give it to you. It's like a kind of a real life genie in Aladdin situation. But, it's, but it really happened. God tells Solomon, ask for one thing and I'll give it to you. And Solomon thinks about it. And his response back to God is, okay, what I want is I want a discerning heart. He says, I want wisdom. That's what I want. I'm a king of your people, God. I'm a king of the nation of Israel. I want to lead well. Will you give me wisdom? Now, God absolutely loves this request. We'll pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10. It says, The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. Solomon says, God, here's the one thing I want. I want wisdom, and God's response is, that's awesome. I would love to give you that. I mean, you could ask for anything. You could have been selfish. You could have been greedy. You could have asked for wealth or power. Or, I mean, God actually brings up one I wouldn't have thought of. Like, he says, you could ask to kill your enemy. But you didn't ask for that. Instead, you asked for a wisdom and discernment to lead my people. Yeah, absolutely, I'll give that to you. And God makes Solomon the wisest human, human being who will ever live on the face of the planet. Solomon has this ability to just look at the world and see reality. He just has this unbelievable ability to peel back the layers of pomp and circumstance. He can just see through all of that and see what's really going on in the human experience. And God actually doesn't just stop with wisdom. Verse 13 says, And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. So Solomon is now the wisest, smartest, richest, most popular human being who had ever lived on the face of the planet. And on top of all those attributes of Solomon, he's got a curiosity Meaning he can't see something and not try it. Some of you can relate to that. Maybe it's gotten you into trouble. Because once you see it, you have to try it. That's how Solomon was. And this is where we get, the, get to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book that's going to record this incredible experiment of Solomon's life. Solomon's going to take all of that wisdom that he's got, all the wealth, all the resources, all the popularity, the fame, the power, he takes all of that and he leverages it on this experiment where he basically lives his life as if there is no God. And he searches on the face of the planet Earth what he called life under the sun. He's going to use that phrase under the sun over and over again 27 times throughout the book. 
says, I'm going to seek out everything here on planet Earth, life under the sun. I'm going to test it. I'm going to experiment with it. And in all of his experimentation, this one question, his one question is, where can I find the good life on planet Earth? And this experiment's going to get crazy. It's going to turn into wild, massive, epic parties. I mean, remember, he's got unbelievable resources, resources which means you and I have not partied like Solomon has partied. Some of you are like, I don't know, Pastor, I've partied. No, you haven't. <laughs> not like he has. He had parties so big that it required them to kill 100 cattle to feed everybody. Okay? He has this building phase of his life where he tries to accomplish and build an empire in these massive projects. It's going to lead to unheard of luxury and comfort and relaxation. He planted forests. He had a planting time. He wanted to plant. He planted forests. He had to then build lakes to feed those forests. That it, to this day, if you go, go to Jerusalem, you would still see these craters called the Pools of Solomon that fed those forests. I'm not saying you didn't do a great job with the landscaping in your front yard, but Solomon's just on another level. And Solomon's going to test every single thing that the world has to offer. And here in chapter 1, he's going to start us with his conclusion of all those years and decades of testing and experimenting. Embrace yourself, because he's going to come out of the gate swinging. Right? And I'll just go ahead and tell you what we're going to read in chapter 1. Solomon's going to ask the question, where on earth is the good life found? And his overwhelming conclusion is going to be, nowhere. This is just a really fun, light, chipper read. Okay? So let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. The words of the, of the teacher, a son of David, king of Jerusalem. Okay, so that's our boy Solomon. Verse 2. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place that the streams come from, there, there they return again. All things are weary, more than one can the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who followed them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on me. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. The chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. This is Solomon's conclusion to his experiment. So we started this morning by saying that you and me and all of us were searching for the good life. And Solomon says, look, I looked everywhere on the planet. It's not found here. He says, everything's meaningless. This is his primary theme, in some ways, throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. He's going to come back to it over and over again. What Solomon is saying is that all of us, in different ways, we can perceive this kind of broken emptiness in creation, and in ourselves, and in the world, that leaves us longing for more. This gnawing kind of hunger for more. 
Now, maybe some of you are very aware of that inside of you. Maybe some of you aren't. But here's what I will tell you. Advertisers and marketers are well aware that we are experiencing this longing for more. So Jaguar, a, couple, a few years back, had an ad campaign for one of their cars, and the tagline at the end of the commercial was, how alive are you? Question mark. With the implied answer of, I don't know, but not alive enough. I need to be more alive. That's what I need. I want to know that that's probably going to fix the dead places in my soul. You know, that's, that's, that's what's going to fix it, a sexy sports car. Fiat got in on, on it right after that, just in case a sexy sports car is not your thing. And they put out an ad that was really direct, really directly was, find your more. That's blatant. What their ad's saying is, we all know that you're looking for more. And if you can't find it with a Jaguar, maybe a Fiat will do the trick. Maybe that's your more. And what Solomon says is, listen guys, in all of human history, I'm the one guy who had truly unlimited resources, unlimited wisdom, to pursue pleasure however I wanted to, whenever I wanted to, and I did it. What, I found, what I'm telling you is what I found was none of that was None of it was true the more that I was looking for. And he just doesn't say there's some meaningless things on planet Earth. You know, mosquitoes. Meaningless. Turkey bacon. <laughs> Hollow, empty. Country music. Oh, that's a joke. You can't get mad at me for jokes. No, he says it's all... And this is very counterintuitive, because all of us in some ways believe that if I could have what I wanted and could do whatever I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it, with no obstructions, then that would be the good, what the good life is. Solomon's saying, listen, okay, listen, I lived it more than you could ever hope to live it. That wasn't it. He says the sun, it, goes, it just goes around and around, never gets a day off. Same thing with the wind. I mean, the jet stream just keeps cycling. Like the wind's chasing its tail around the earth. Same thing with the water cycle. Like you notice there are rivers, they keep flowing into the ocean, but the oceans are never, never get filled up. There's this non-stop, repetitive cycling in the nature of our world. And he says it's just not in nature, but it's in humans too. He says, generation goes, generation comes. Been king for a long time. Seen a lot of generations go, generation comes. How many of you have noticed like how much of a, just a direct carbon copy or a direct rebellion against what your parents were. The young parents in the room, have you yet come to find yourself saying that one thing you promised yourself you'd never say to your children? Because mom said so, that's why. He's saying there's this kind of non-satisfying cyclical existence that we all find ourselves in. Life's a lot more like the film Groundhog Day than most of us are comfortable admitting. How many of you mowed your yard in this last week? You're going to have to mow it next. You want to know what bills you're going to have to pay next month? The ones you pay this. There's this cyclical, repetitious part of life. Everything we're doing has already been done. You can see this in the silly ways with fashion trends. Mustaches are back in the Wide leg pants are coming back around, right? You see it with music. And obviously, Solomon's not saying that over the course of human history, we haven't had any medical or 
technological or civil advancements and progress, because we have had those things. What he's saying is, despite the incredible advancements and progress, we still haven't found anything under the sun that fixes the human soul. And then here's where it gets really interesting, because some of you are like, yeah, Solomon's right. We are stuck in this repetitious cycle, and there's nothing new. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break that cycle. I'm going to rebel. I'm going to throw that all out the window, and I'm going to do something completely new. Okay, really. Let me just take a guess at what types of things you might try in your rebellion. You're going to try, I don't know, some illicit drugs? Maybe overuse some alcohol? You're going to try some wild parties? Okay, maybe you'll finally be the person that that has actually worked for. There's, that's not new. There's nothing new. None of that stuff satisfies the human soul. Solomon says, I applied my mind to studying, to explore by wisdom all that is done under the sun. I had more resources than you got, and more wisdom than you got, than you got. I had more free time than you, had, than you have. I took this experiment seriously. I applied myself. No holds barred, no moral restriction, no financial restriction. I went for all of it, and I'm telling you, it's not where fulfillment is found. And at this point, we've got some different options for how we can respond to the emptiness of life that Solomon is describing here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we'll just walk through the three, three of the major ones. And I'm going to start with the least popular of the three, and we'll just kind of get more popular as we go. One response is nihilism, or nihilism. Both are okay. Nihilism is this over-embracing of what Solomon is telling us. It's where you say, Solomon's right. Everything on planet Earth is meaningless, it's empty, life has no purpose, no moral standards, there's probably no God. If there is one, he doesn't care how we live, doesn't have any purpose. This isn't going anywhere. This is nihilism. So Nietzsche, Kafka, Albert Camus were a few popular nihilists. This one's never become real popular with humans. We tend to be a little more hopeful for the most part than that. But, this, but for those who have delved into this, it usually leads to some pretty deep, dark depression because it doesn't even pretend to provide a solution. Option number two is a good bit more popular. Option number two is good old-fashioned hedonism. Whereas nihilism says there's no purpose in life, hedonism says the purpose of life is just do whatever you want. Seek out pleasure however you want. Go for fun, enjoyment, comfort, tactile experiences, have incredible feelings and moments whatever you want. This is very, a very commonplace philosophy in a lot of our culture. You just be you. Do whatever you want to do. And ex express yourself however you want to express yourself. And experience pleasure however you want to experience pleasure. And anybody who gets in your way is evil. Just seek out pleasure, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And Solomon understood the allure and the temptation of eating. But he says, I'm telling you, It'll feel good for a while. And at the end of that road, there's going to become a day where you look back and go, that was a mistake. It was hollow. Philip Yancey says, as Ecclesiastes tells us, wholesale devotion to pleasure will, paradoxically, lead to a state of utter despair. One more. Nihilism, hedonism. The third response is escapism. Escapism. Trying to escape, trying to run from, trying to hide from, specifically from these deep, gnawing questions of the soul. There's a temptation for many of us to run to escapism. Just ignore it. Just numb yourself. 
So you don't even realize that your soul is lacking. Just keep the noise level going in your life, just loud enough that you never even have to hear that your soul is trying to tell you that something's wrong. I think this one often affects us more than we even realize. I think it's possible that escapism might be the driving force behind a lot of our entertainment, a lot of our hobbies, a lot of TV watching, a lot of cell phone addiction. We don't want to let things get quiet enough. Because if the noise turns off, well, then our brains start turning. And our soul, our soul starts telling us something's wrong here. Those are the three most common options to deal with emptiness in your soul. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I thought church was a happy place. He told me life is meaningless and made fun of my mustache. Hate that guy, right? Some of you aren't bothered at all because you're going to use this all week. Honey, are you going to mow the lawn? Why? It's meaningless. You heard the pastor. I'm not even going to work tomorrow. But here's what we need to know. Here's what we need to know about Ecclesiastes. The whole book reads weird. I mean, there's going to be times when we're reading Ecclesiastes where it's just like, that shouldn't be in the Bible. But here's what we need to understand. What Solomon is doing throughout the whole book is he's, just, he's bouncing back and forth between two very different ways of looking at the world. In the first one, Solomon looks at the world as if there was no God. Through the lens of, let's just be honest about reality on planet Earth if God doesn't exist. Which is a little bit interesting because you've got a guy, Solomon, who loves God, worships God, has experienced God. But for the sake of his argument or his experiment, he's regular going, regularly going, okay, for the moment, let's act as if there is no God. Let's just take a look at the world as if God is not in view. And consistently, over and over again, with all his wisdom, with all his mind, with all his resources, when he looks at the world like this, through this lens of no God, his conclusion is, if there is no God, then all we're left with is this question of, what's the point of all this? But from time to time, throughout the book, Solomon will give us these little breaths of fresh air. And we'll say, okay, for the moment, let's consider the world as if God does it. And I'll give you an example. This is going to come, we're going to come back to this later. But, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, he says this. He says, he, being God, has set eternity in the human heart. He goes, God somehow has wired the human heart to where we were created for God. We were created to find our meaning and our purpose and our identity in God. Because God has written eternity on the human soul. It's like in this strange way our souls remember that once long ago, before the brokenness, that we were created for God and that we found our real satisfaction in Him. And that no matter how hard we fight it, all of, this, all of us are just plagued with the sense that there's this Absence in our lives. And that's where this emptiness comes from. So because God has written eternity on your heart, <clears throat> anything here on planet Earth under the sun is too small. It cannot fill the depths of the chasm of eternity that's carved into your soul. Put anything in there you want. Pleasure, money, fame. doesn't matter. At some point, you're going to come to the same conclusion Solomon does. Nothing under the sun satisfies the way we think it's because our hearts crave eternity. Our hearts crave God. 
try to escape it. You can try to numb it. You can try to suppress it. It'll never work because your soul's remembered. You've got eternity written on your soul. And you're never going to be able to forget. And you can throw up your hands in the air and say there's no purpose. But somewhere deep in you, you know that's not true. Because you were made for God. That leads us to another option to deal with the gnawing meaninglessness. And that option is that the God of the universe who wired our hearts and created us in his grace could send his son Jesus from beyond the sun to come here, live life with us here under the sun. And Jesus could offer us a way to see life from his perspective. See life here on planet Earth from his viewpoint. He said, I came to fix all those broken, to straighten all that is crooked, to fill up all that is lacking, but to get that, you're going to have to admit you need some help. You're going to have to admit that there's something broken, something lacking. You're going to have to admit that you need Jesus' grace to pull you up to see a whole new perspective. And that's possible. And what happens when you get to see life's, life from Jesus' perspective, what happens is it changes. You start thinking, I don't need to try to escape him. Because Jesus fills it up. He answers the deepest questions of my soul. I don't need to try to keep the noise level up anymore. In fact, maybe I can Sabbath. Maybe I'd like some solitude and silence in my life where I can commune with God. And all of a sudden, pleasure can just be pleasure. It doesn't have to be the thing that satisfies some deep longing in me. It can just be what it is. Because Jesus is all. And he satisfies me. He satisfies the deep longings inside. So pleasure is freed up to just be pleasure. Sex can just be sex. Food, just food. Celebration, joy, just celebration and joy. But not ultimate. Because Jesus is ultimate. My pursuit of happiness is no longer based on me being able to achieve something or based on something that's it's actually now based on something that's been done for me. And that's what we're really getting after in this whole series. We're praying and we're hoping and we're pushing into this direction of Jesus giving us some, his new perspective. Jesus pulling back the curtains on everything under the sun that we've chased after, giving us the freedom to see life the way that he sees. This may seem, I don't know, maybe it seems like a harsh sermon. But I think, and I, I, Solomon thinks, that until you're ready to honestly evaluate life under the sun, until you're ready to look at your life and see what the real meaning is there, a real lack of meaning is there. Until you're ready to do that, you'll be stuck on the treadmill. But if you'll finally slow down long enough to look, I think you'll come to the same conclusion as Solomon. And that's the beginning of the development of real, true faith. Right? Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Thank you so much that you were willing to come here to earth under the sun to rescue us, to redeem us, to repair and restore all that has been broken, all that has been made broken. That you are in the business of redemption and restoration. 
Thank you that you invite us into your redemption and your restoration. God, I pray that through Solomon's wisdom, you would give us eyes to see that what we're chasing after, what we're convincing ourselves will fix us and fill us, would give us some humility and some honesty to realize that maybe it's not working. Would you help us to see that anything we're looking towards to deliver to us the good life other than you is not going to work. God, there's plenty of us in this room who maybe we know you, maybe we don't, but we are constantly tempted to try to escape the gnawing in our soul. God, would you just help us to stop? Help us to see it for exactly what it is and quit believing that running away is ever going to fix anything. I pray that you give us the courage to be a little quieter, to turn off some of the noise, to deal with what's going on in our soul. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us your grace and your life and your fullness? We pray all this in your precious name. Everybody say.